coming back to Lakeshore after 17 years of looking for a church as wonderful as Lakeshore is uh, such fun. I confess that I'm not always completely sure what's new, what's old, and what I've forgotten. I'm grateful to those of you who look exactly like you did 20 years ago. <laughs> that, that would be you, Libby Bellinger. Yeah. And I apologize to those of you who are new to Lakeshore, but who I have inexplicably pretended to know. The fortunate people who've been here forever are the exception to what is increasingly the rule. Many of us can't imagine what 20 years in the same church feels like. Uh, I've been a member of 13 churches, which suggest that I have problems. <laughs> uh, we have, as a group, uh, been in thousands of churches. Uh, we've been to churches that smell like incense, and churches that smell like Starbucks, uh, churches where during the welcome they hug 10 people and say, God loves you, and I do too, and churches where no one has hugged in years, uh, churches with kneeling and, and genuflecting, and, and churches with clapping and dancing, and churches where the preacher stands in a 400-year-old pulpit that looks like it should be in a castle, and churches where the preacher stands in a spotlight that looks like it should be in a Netflix special. <laughs> churches where they chant everything. And churches with painfully redundant choruses. Uh, one word, two notes, uh, 15 minutes. <laughs> churches where they only quote white men who died 500 years ago. And churches where they discuss the theological implications of the shape of water. Churches where every prayer is printed and uh, churches where every prayer is tweeted. Churches where Wednesday night supper starts at 5.15 and is still $6. <laughs> and churches where the only supper they share is the gluten-free, non-allergen body of Christ with a Pinot Noir. <laughs> churches where the senior pastor is a male. <laughs> and churches where they can't remember the last male senior pastor. Churches that hope tomorrow will be 1998. And churches that stay away from anything older than they are. We come from churches with great love for the old and churches that are just enamored with whatever's brand new. Jesus' advice is to take the best of the old and the new. Listen again. Every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of the treasury what is new and what is old. Matthew says something in this verse about his own understanding of the gospel. Uh, this collection of stories begins with the parable of the sower and ends with these brief passages on the kingdom as treasure, pearl, and net. The parables are familiar and unfamiliar. Matthew is bringing out treasures new and old. 
His approach throughout this gospel is to combine the new word of Jesus with the old word of the ancient tradition. Matthew presents the new teaching, new community, new mission. And at the same time, Matthew retains the old, the Hebrew scriptures, the prophetic words, the hopes of Israel. And Matthew doesn't simply place the new and the old alongside one another so you get to choose between them. He weaves the old and new together so that neither the new nor the old can stand without the other. The stories of Jesus as an infant make no sense if you take out the references to the Old Testament. The Sermon on the the Mount uh, is about the fulfillment of the old law. If you remove the old, then Matthew's gospel falls apart. And if you remove the new, then no gospel remains. And when we read Matthew's story or any New Testament writing, the absolute necessity of both the old and the new is really obvious. But what's easy to recognize in the text is more difficult as we move from the scripture to the church. The new and the old have a long-standing, ongoing battle in the church. The churches in which I grew up loved the old. One churchgoer put it, this is what I learned at First Baptist Church. I learned that unleavened bread is chiclet-sized soda crackers. I learned that the money changers at the temple were communist and not capitalist. I learned that sharpened pew pencil is an oxymoron. I learned that every passage of scripture has three points. And I learned that Sunday school teachers have an unlimited supply of construction paper, Elmer's glue, and popsicle sticks. Those churches recognize the value of the old. We we were serious about the ancient words. We had dog-eared Bibles with multicolored underlining and sermon notes scribbled in the margins. We taped memory verses to our mirrors, refrigerators, baby beds. We took sin seriously. The church warned us about the dangers of worldliness and the hypnotic glitter of having and doing and thinking what the sinful crowd has and does and think. And churches that loved the old loved people like me into the church. And there's so many good things about churches that love the old that it takes a while to realize that crucial things are missing. We memorized Bible verses, but but none of those verses had to do with our responsibility to feed the hungry. And our stand against worldliness degenerated into a pretty short list of taboos. In terms of the sins that matter, racism, sexism, individualism, materialism, homophobia, we were no different from those outside the church. We built walls that kept people out. We weren't nearly as inclusive as the Christ we claimed to follow. The old ways alone aren't nearly enough. Because God calls us in new, surprising ways. Now, other churches adore only the new. Now, they they look for people where they are instead of where they used to be. 
And they use technology to reach out to those who've never been part of the church. They take on today's issues, today's problems, today's hopes. But there is, of course, danger in this opposite direction. We've, we've been to churches that love only the new. They, they can be fun. It's fun to sing without a hymnal. It's fun to hear sermons with titles like How to Be Happy, How to Have Happy Marriage, How to Have Happy Children, How to Have Happy Children Who Have Happy Marriages. It's fun to watch clips from I, Tanya that illuminate the story of David and Goliath. And churches that love only the new can be so much fun that it takes a while to realize that they often miss the sacred. When you clap for God like you clap for a pop star, you may not be taking God seriously. In churches that love the new, there's often no silence that points to an unspeakable God. No confession that admits our unworthiness. No word that hints at the unexplainable mystery. Churches that love the excitement of the new can be hard for people dealing with a tragedy. One Sunday after worship, I'm standing at that back door, and a visitor to Lakeshore told me the name of the church of which she was a member. It's a congregation in Waco that loves the new. And I asked, so why are you visiting Lakeshore? And she said, I'm going through a divorce. And a friend at my church suggested I come here for a while. Some days you don't feel like waving your arms. Elton Trueblood calls ours a cut flower civilization clipped from our roots. Without roots, we have little staying power. The new ways alone aren't, aren't enough. Sometimes we suffer from an illness Baylor professor Beverly Gaventa calls traditiophobia. Victims have a prejudice against anything that's old. New is good and old is bad, and if my parents like it, there must be something wrong with it. Anything that smacks of home isn't worthy of our new enlightened states. Traditiophobia takes a dim view of the old things in the household's treasures, always preferring to start all over. At other times, we suffer from an illness that might be called innovatiophobia. Victims have a prejudice against anything that's new. The old things are the good things. We grow so in love with our old opinions that we make them the standard by which all others are judged. I've made up my mind. I have no room for more information. Innovatiophobia takes a dim view of the new things in the household treasures, preferring the safety of the old. The wise person treasures the old and the new. The open-minded know it's not either or. It's both and. We read the new by an old light. We see the old in a light that's new each day. Some of the best parts of this church are old. Lakeshore holds to the central truths of the ancient story. The old is an essential part of who we are. There are bits and pieces of Lakeshore's 59-year history that cannot be lost without diminishing the church. 
The treasures of the kingdom are old. And some of the best parts of this church are new. Lakeshore is open to new ideas, new visions, new ways of living the gospel. Some mercies have to be gathered new each morning. One of this church's gifts is the ability to address what's unexpected and discover that the treasures of the kingdom are new. We need to choose wisely what's best of the ancient and the contemporary because we're always always standing at the end of something old and the beginning of something new. You and I carry all kinds of gifts and burdens from our parents, our culture, our churches. We have a collection of values and ideas that we've picked up along the way. We chose some of those values ourselves, but others were pushed on us when we weren't looking. We have to spend our whole lives deciding what to keep. At times, the church is tempted to throw everything out and start over from scratch. But much of what's old is worth keeping. At other times, the church wants to hold tightly to everything. But some old things aren't worth keeping. The question is not, is it old or new? The question is, does it come from God? God will help us choose what to keep, what to throw away, what to accept, what to reject. As we learn that God's treasures are ageless. We've been coming to this table for 2,000 years to give thanks for mercies that come new each morning. We live in gratitude for what has been and hope for what will be.